Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, last night, me and Jessica went back to our room, and I said, isn't this a great group? And Jessica said, they're just like ready to get truth bombs dropped on them all weekend. So she's coming tonight, so get ready. I mean, she's here, but she'll be tonight. Um, this morning when, they, when, when, when uh, we were asked to give each other a compliment, someone near me said, you're different. <laughs> I don't know if they were talking to me or to someone else, but I don't know if that qualifies as a compliment. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, one of the upsides of not having slides this morning is that that means all y- I was going to say all you guys, all y'all. I can do that. My brother just got engaged to a gal from North Carolina, and so she's all y'all in us training and everything. Like, we've trying to, I just, I learned that y'all can be singular. That's messed up. That's like the wrong, you guys are, I'm trying to learn, and then you change the rules on me. It sounds like the English language. Um, but one of the upsides of, of us not having slides is y'all got to take notes. Right? So listen careful, write stuff down. I love taking notes because I, I, somebody, I forget who said this, but they said, uh, when you take notes, it's like you're hearing it three times. Because what that means is that you're hearing it in your ears, like that's the first time. You're writing it down, which is another form of mechanically hearing it, and then you're reading it off the page to yourself. So you, that's why taking notes matters, is you actually get to hear this stuff three times. Isn't that cool? There you go. Little notes explanation there. Um, last night, we took kind of a, the big picture, like kind of a, a helicopter view across Scripture of God's plan for saving the world, right? His plan to be close to his image bearers, to restore relationship with us, even though we keep throwing things in the way. And we ended by highlighting God's outrageous final chapter in his plan to make this work, that in this final season of his mission to bring his image bearers close to him, he actually sends goons, like you and me, to accomplish his rescue mission in other people's lives. That in fact, to be a Christian is to be sent to the people around us with the good news. There is no other vision of Christianity in scripture that does not include seeing yourself as a missionary wherever you go. It's not just about going to church or about living by a set of moral expectations. It's not even simply about intellectually assenting to a set of truth claims. All those are good and important. But to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. And to be a disciple of Jesus, it means to take responsibility with God for the faith journeys of the people around us. Our friends, our family, everybody around us God is reaching out to them, and he has sent us to tell them the good news, that God wants them to be close. And this is, thre- this is all over scripture. In, uh, in a letter that Paul wrote to a, an emerging community in Cor- Corinth, the second letter he wrote to them, or at least 2 Corinthians, says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Oh, but there's no slide. So this is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
So what we're going to look at this morning is the question of how. How do you and I do that practically? What are the things that are are on on our side of the equation? There's two sides of the equation in reaching the world. One is what we're responsible for, and the other, which is way bigger, is what God's responsible for. That side of the equation is way bigger, and we'll talk about that as the weekend goes on. But what are we responsible for in our role as sent ones, okay? We've been given this tremendous commission, so how do we do this? So, to that end, I want to pray that the Lord would speak to us during this time, okay? Lord, I so appreciate that you're here with us. I pray that you would um, help my words to be useful to your kingdom's purposes. Thank you that um, I get to tell true things, and that makes uh, this, this matter. Um, Lord, thank you that your word is truth, and we get to look at the things the way that you lived, and that is just a big deal. So thank you, Lord. I thank you that people have been praying for this weekend way before they got here. People have been praying while we've been here. Um, we're praying now. Don prayed for me. People have been praying. are going to be praying after the week. Lord, we are soaking this time in, in our dependence on you making this matter. And uh, we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to start with a little reflection. So if you have those little notebooks, you get them out and get them ready. Um, I want you to do some reflecting on your story. Um, before we jump into sort of thinking about how do we go be sent ones, it's really helpful, I think, to remember the fact that someone was sent to you, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do some thinking, just for like a minute or so, who are a few of the most influential people in your journey of getting serious about Jesus? Just write down their names. I want you to do some thinking. Who are the major players in my story of meeting Jesus, getting me committed to follow him. Or maybe, and maybe if you're, if, if, if you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this weekend yet, you can just, you can look at the, uh, the people in your life and like, who are kind of influencing me to, to explore this Jesus character? Who, who's been a player in my life so far on helping me explore what Jesus is about? Okay, so just take a minute to do that. Okay, here's your first homework assignment and probably your last of the weekend. Your assignment is to send those folks a note sometime in the next week. In fact, I'd encourage you to do it even before you leave camp. Tell them, hey, this guy came from the Northwest, and he told us that we had to think about who were some of the two or three people who were most influential in our first faith journey. And I want you to know I wrote your name down. And thank you that my life is different because of your influence towards Jesus in my life. Can you imagine getting one of those letters? Can you imagine how that might push the mission forward and encourage them to keep doing that for their whole lives? It's good for the soul to be thankful. So do that, okay? All right. Um, And and the reason that I I had us do this exercise is that relationships are the most powerful way of living like sent ones. Relationships are way more influential than what I'm doing up here on stage. I like to, to teach. I like to preach. But you don't know me. And I don't know you. I can't be best friends with 650 people. How many people are here? Yeah, I would, I would just explode with relational capacity. Where the magic happens in people's lives is on the life-on-life interaction, right? One-on-one is how it's done. Yeah, I know the language. That's a real thing. That actually is true. It's not just something your focused pastors tell you, hey, you should think this way. It actually works that way. That's the way God has designed us. The people who most influence you are those who know you 
and who you are, who, who, who you know and are known by. That's what, that's where, that's where the magic happens. God has designed us this way, and that's the first thing that we see in Jesus' model of what it's like to live as a sent one. This is what Jesus was like. He began his ministry this way. Jesus preached. So, yay, it's not bad to be preaching. That's great. But when it came to really influencing the faith of the people around him, he knew that his biggest impact would be by building relationships. So instead of spending his whole ministry only preaching from the hillside, he gathers a group of friends, doesn't he? Look at Mark, look at Mark 3, verse 13, okay? 13 and 14, Jesus says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now, Jesus always had this intention of sending these people out. But first, he invites them to be in relationship with him. Look at what Mark says. He called those he wanted, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Now, I want to just pause right there, because I think it's beautiful. He called those he wanted. Do you know, personally, do you know that Jesus wants you do you know that he likes you? Sometimes I think, yeah, yeah, God, God loves me. He kind of has to do what God does. God is love, so yeah, he loves me. But do you know that he likes you? Is that how you see God? And Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact replica of God in the world. If someone came to the original disciples and said, show me your God, they could point across the street and say, he's over there. Whatever you see Jesus doing, that's exactly what God is like. And Jesus calls people he wants to be around. He wants to be around you. Before you ever lift a finger for him on this mission, before he ever sends you out to preach or communicate, to befriend other people so you can get to know someone who loves Jesus, before any of that, Jesus wants to be with you. Who is a God like that who leads with relationship before ever asking anything of us? What a God. I'm in. I'll follow him. <laughs> but that's where Jesus starts. We're going to look at three things this morning, three part, sides of our equation, uh, three, sides of, three of our sides of the equation of being sent ones. And this first one is relationships. That's the first thing that we, we've got to take seriously. By inviting and welcoming people into his life. That's how Jesus lived as a sent one. He, in, uh, he came into the world, into shared experiences. He invites them on a road trip, right? There's nothing like brushing your teeth next to each other for discipleship to happen. <laughs> Watching movies, taking naps, burping together, laughing, crying, just doing life together, right? Jesus, Jesus does not start at, hey, come to this Christian event. He doesn't say, come to synagogue with me. <laughs> now, I'm sure they did go to synagogue together. I'm sure that happened. But that's not where he starts. He starts at, let's hang out. Come be with me. Let's be friends. Now, isn't that so wonderfully ordinary? I think sometimes we think, evangelism. And it only looks like those big evangelistic crusades that filled football stadiums in the 70s and 80s, right? 
Or maybe you think evangelism and you think it's some freaky, angry preacher on the corner with a sign that says, God is so mad at you. Do you have those people who come to your campus? They come to our campus and they're kind of my favorite and least favorite thing ever. They're my favorite thing because I'm like, this is fantastic. Someone else is starting the conversation. I'm going to go tell the truth. This is great. I'll just float around the edges of this angry crowd and be like, Jesus is nothing like that. Let me tell you what he's like. Oh, really? Okay. Now I'm interested. But I also hate it because I think they're smearing Jesus up and down. They're actually telling lies. Some people say, well, it's just a different method. It's a different approach. No, no, no. When you lead with God's about to to destroy you, blow you up, unless you come to him because he loves you so much, that's not actually the truth of the gospel. (laughs) You're twisting it up. Anyway, another side tangent. Other people think that, that being sent ones, oh, that's what happens on a mission trip. Right? Yeah, we do mission trips. That's when I'm a missionary. Other people think that you have to get some kind of degree so that you can answer everybody's questions before you're a sent one. What if they ask me something I don't know the answer to? Guess what? Tell them you don't know. That's okay. I say it all the time. Other people think that you have to have all your stuff together, everything figured out, all your sins repented of, be a perfect model follower of Jesus before you can talk to other people about him. Jesus says, bogus. Go be friends. Go be in relationships with people. Learn their name, swap stories, figure out what they like, what they value, and do life with them. Invite them into yours and be a part of theirs. There's this terrific story, two chapters later in Mark, of a demon-possessed man who meets Jesus, and you should got to read it for yourself, but in this really dramatic way, he's delivered from these mighty forces of darkness. It's pretty epic, pretty awesome. But this is how the end of the story goes. This is from Mark 5, verses 18 through 20. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. It's one of the only times Jesus says no to someone who wants to follow him. It's pretty interesting. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all his people were amazed. Jesus says in this story that this man is automatically qualified to be sent. And look who Jesus sends him to. He sends him to the people he's in relationship with. Go to your people. Go to the people you know. Go and tell the people who knew what you used to be like and show them how different things are now and tell them why. My friends, as soon as As you meet Jesus, you are automatically qualified to start telling the people you know what he's done for you. As soon as you meet him, you have what it takes to share it. And doesn't that just make sense? When you start dating someone, isn't that something you're pretty excited to talk about? And when it gets Facebook official, then you know it's the real thing. Right? Or when you have a great weekend, or when your sports team dominates their rival, like Liverpool will over Manchester City tomorrow morning. You just, you just relate with your friends about the things that are important to you, don't you? 
That's what relationships are all about, relating over stuff that's important to us. We like to blab about what we love. But for some reason, when it comes to bringing up our faith with friends who don't know Jesus, sometimes we just kind of clam up, right? Why do we do this? If we love Jesus more than anyone in the world, if my relationship with him is the most important one in my life, then why do I make it weird by never talking about him with the people I'm close to? Let's stop being weird. That would be a good goal. In the context of relationships, let's just be honest about the things that we love. When your friends ask you what you're doing on a Wednesday night, and that's the night when your core meets, do you say, oh, I'm busy with... (laughs) Or do you say, oh, I can't. I get to hang out with my friends while we try to follow Jesus together. Do you want to come? How different are those two responses? And so ordinary, right? We need to be freed from creating awkwardness that might not even be there and just be real about the things that are important to us. Okay, I want to pause there and I want to do another reflection time in your notes. Take stock of your relational world. I want you to ask yourself the question, or ask Jesus the question, Jesus, who have you sent me to? Because God is eagerly pursuing everybody around you. And I think Jesus wants you to go and tell them how much he has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And if you're not a Christian this weekend, if that's not you, that's totally fine. Feel free to think about the people that you think God is using to get your attention. Again, take, take stock of that. Who are the people in my life who seem to keep raising this conversation of Jesus with me? Okay? Go ahead and take another minute and just write that down. Who have I been sent to? Or if you're not a Christian, maybe who seems to have been sent to me? And do some reflecting on that. Okay. Before we go to the, the next thing we see in Jesus' life, I want to just pause. And I want to pray for those people you wrote down. Um, as I, I mean, the Lord brought people to my mind, too. Like, there's a guy who is a professor at Western, good friend of mine named Jason. And our kids are running sort of those parallel lives. Like, we're in this, they're in the same school. They're similar ages. So we connect on that. And, and he's a professor at, this, at Western, the school that I'm reaching out to. And so we have a lot in common. And, and I, I'm struck by the fact that, you know... There is no one better placed than me to introduce him to Jesus. And I want, I want the Lord's help to, how to, 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 keep, to broach that subject with him in a way that's too, super chill and not, not, not weird. So let's pray, huh? Lord, I, I lift up to you all the people that just got written down. Um, you love them to bits. You just are nuts about them. And Lord, there is no one better placed in their lives to introduce them to the life that is really life than we are. You have sent us to them. So God, I know that there is so much that has to happen apart from me. There's got to be questions that they're asking. There's got to be their consciences get kind of pricked by your spirit. And there are circumstances in their lives that are going to make them want to look for you. and that kind of, All that stuff's out of our control. But what we can do is we can in that, be in relationship with them. And be honest about the things that we love. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to join you in reaching these folks that we wrote down. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, the, the next thing that we see in Jesus' life, and this is related to the thing we just talked about. But this is number two. Relationships is number one. This is number two. Is the necessity 
of verbal communication. Again, it's related to the thing we just said, but it's a little bit different. There's this really popular quote that has been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, one of the greatest evangelists in church history. Okay? He's amazing. And this quote that's been attributed to him goes like this. He says, it says, Preach the gospel to all the world, and, if necessary, use words. Now, at first, we kind of like that. I mean, in some senses, it's great. It's instructive, but the fact that how we live really impacts the people around us. That, that makes a lot of sense. It highlights a, a real truth that someone's actions can be a beacon advertising the character of God. That's for sure. I had this math teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Unger. I was, a, I was at a missionary school back in Nairobi. And he would get up early, early, every Sunday morning, like, like before he had to get back home and help his family get to church. He would get up real early every Sunday morning, and he would drive into this sprawling slum just outside of town in Nairobi. It was close to where he lived. And he would go to a Catholic shelter for mentally disabled men. They were drooling on themselves. They couldn't function in society. They needed full-time care. And there was this community of nuns who had taken it upon themselves to care for these men and give them lives of dignity in a society where they had none. I mean, they're already living in a slum. So everyone is maximum struggling, right? These These men are mentally disabled men who can't take care of themselves in a slum, it's like the low of the low. And these nuns said, that's where we want to make Jesus famous. These are, these are the people we want to elevate and dignify because they are images of God. And my math teacher, every Sunday morning before his family was awake, he would take shaving cream, sweet-smelling scented shaving cream and a straight razor and shave every one of those men in that shelter every Sunday morning. This real fancy, elegant, you know, straight razor shave. And he would talk to them, he would ask about their week, whether they could respond or not. And while he lathered them up and and gracefully gave them this fancy shave. Every single week. My math teacher was an incredible man bestowing incredible dignity on these images of God that he was sent to. But, what if, what if my math teacher had never told me about Jesus? What if he had never told me why he was honoring these mentally disabled men? What if he never told me that Jesus had sent him to these men? Who do you think I would have been most impressed by? Who do you think I would have gotten to know? Who would I have praised? Mr. Unger, my math teacher. Friends, I think St. Francis has been misquoted. Because while I like the emphasis on how we live, it it undercuts the necessity of words. And it looks nothing like how we see Jesus living. Jesus did not just come and live well in front of people. And St. Francis was one of the best preachers in church history. He led thousands to the Lord across Europe, and many suggest that he was the first Christian to send missionaries to region, and, went, and went himself as well to regions of northern Africa and the Middle East in response to the original rise of Islam. 
And it wasn't because he only used words when necessary. My math teacher did tell me about Jesus. His son was one of my best friends in school and is now a missionary pilot in Madagascar. And I learned about Jesus sitting at their breakfast table many mornings. They would talk about the Bible. They would read scripture together and pray. They would talk about current events. They would talk about what God was up to in the world. So I knew when I heard, and he, he didn't advertise, by the way, that he goes to do this, does this shave, shaving men thing. I heard about it from his son, like happenstance. It wasn't like something he advertised. You know, on Sunday mornings, I get to go do this amazing Christ-like thing. <laughs> never said it. I never heard it from him. But I heard the gospel from him. And so when I saw this life attached to what I had been told verbally, I thought, there's a God I could follow my whole life. So I could connect his compassion and justice with the Lord he learned it from because he told me. I wouldn't have just picked it up without, explaining him, without him explaining who he loved and who he was allegiance to. The gospel is a message. It's good news. Not good observations. It's a message from God. You have to say it. Do we have to take how we live seriously? Of course we do. Absolutely. But I don't think in our culture we are afraid to live right. I don't think that's the learning curve for us right now. I'm totally happy trying to be a nice guy, not swear very much, careful of the movies I watch, and just be the nice guy. But as soon as you ask me why, oh, I don't know, Jesus. I think that's our learning curve. But if all we do is live well, then no one will know why, and the only person they'll get to know is me. So some people say, yeah, the Bible says they'll know we're Christians by our love. And I say, amen. But how many people do you know who are in love and are silent about it? Love takes talking. Trust me, I'm married. And it's working. Although, although, I wish I could decipher exactly what my wife wanted me to do just by watching her. It has yet to work. I need to ask, and she needs to tell me, and that's how I love her. Love takes communication. The same is true with the gospel. No one will just understand the Judeo-Christian worldview just by watching you live. To be sent means to be a communicator, an explainer, a convincer, a testimony sharer, a clarifier. This good news is wild and radical and shocking. It's scandalous. It's going to take some explaining. And really, let's, let's just take a look at our culture right now. How many twisted versions of what it means to be a Christian are out there? How much of a beating has the term Christian taken in our current political climate? Now, I don't care how you voted, who you voted for. I mean, I do care because that's an important thing, but we're not going to talk about that. But how many people who are interested in Jesus but wonder if he's anything like those politicians who call themselves Christians? I don't want anything to do with him. It's on us to help people understand that some people just misrepresent God. And they'll never get it if all we do is live. God's people have always had to confront false gods to explain the truth. 
cover to cover in the, in the, in the Bible. We're always confronting. Nah, that's not what God's like. No, that's not what God's like. This is who he is. This is what he's like. Let me tell you about him. Now, I know uh, what's something that, that a really common pushback I get from our students when we talk about this. I regularly hear students say, well, I don't want to shove it down people's throats. You guys hear that up here? Yeah, yeah. Which I always laugh about and say, yeah, please don't. <laughs> what a terrifying image. Ah! <laughs> Holy cow. It's like there's, there's no middle ground between silence and assault. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to be quiet. Yeah, me neither. If those are the only two options, I'll pick quiet too. But that's just silly. Just be nice about it. Of course the gospel can't be force-fed. When you talk to your friends, invite questions. Make it a conversation. Jesus does this all the time. There's this great story that always like, I'm like, Jesus, are you sure you did that right? Are you allowed to say that? I hope so. Otherwise, I'm going to get struck by lightning. I'm always like, really? Oh, man. Okay, see so Luke 10, right? Right before he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. In verse 25, there's this great moment. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, real quick pause. I'll go in campus pastor mode. Somebody on my campus walks up to me and says, Jeff, would you tell me the truth about I get access to the life that I've always hoped for but can't quite seem how to grasp? You know what my first reaction is? I sure will. Let's talk about it. What a great question. Let me explain everything to you, right? Jesus does it differently. Verse 26. He's crazy. He says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? This is God. I would have just jumped in with answer after answer after answer after answer, right? But instead... Jesus is interested on where this guy's coming from. He's actually interested in this guy's perspective. And what's cool about this is that when Jesus responds to this guy, I don't actually think he's crazy. I think that's actually a pretty good method, by the way. I'm going to try to learn how to do that too. Um, But what what Jesus is doing when he responds that way, he's really just imitating his father. His father is like this. Um... Let's see, in, verse, in, uh, in Isaiah, the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 18, God says to Israel, who he's trying to convince to come back to him, come back and live the way Israel is always supposed to live. And he says this to Israel. He says, come, let us reason together. That's what God's like. That's what Jesus is like. They invite conversation. They're still going to tell you the truth. And we're still called to tell people the truth, but it's a conversation. It's a dialogue. What do you think about this stuff? What are questions you have? What's sort of your starting place as you approach Jesus and, and Scripture and, and God and that kind of thing? Where are you at with this stuff? Another really helpful question that I found to, to ask when someone comes to me and asks me some big spiritual question, I say, why do you ask? Because a lot of times the question that I hear is not actually the question they're asking. They're asking something over here. But if I answer them here, then I'm going to confirm some sort of thing that they thought, yeah, I thought that's what Christians thought, right? There's a story of a guy, um, I, I got this question from another guy. He was sitting in a coffee shop, and a guy sat down next to him and said, hey, are you one of those Christians who believes that if you, I don't believe what the Bible says, then I'm going to hell? 
And his first thought was, I mean, yeah. But I don't want to say that because that just sounds like, but it's true. So he had this moment where he said, hold on. Why do you ask? And he said, because my uncle was a pastor and he preached that all the time and then he cheated on his wife. Is that what it means to be a Christian? And he was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. You're not actually asking me this question. You want to ask me about integrity. You want to to talk about what the gospel's really about, that kind of stuff. So he sidestepped this whole like major beehive that he would have stepped in if he hadn't asked, why do you ask? And was able to really address where this guy was at. That's what Jesus is like. What do you think? What's the law say? How do you read it? It doesn't make him limp or spineless or not having answers. It makes him engaging and dignifies the person asking the questions. We should be that way too, okay? Silent Christians make really confusing messengers. So let's talk about it. Okay, here's the last practical thing I want to mention this morning in how we can live like sent ones. And that's that it doesn't ever happen by accident. Living as a sent one has to be done on purpose. No one accidentally is a good messenger of the gospel. None of this just happens. It takes choices. It means you make decisions. It takes thinking ahead, being prayerful, making plans. I think sometimes we like to think that Jesus just wandered the countryside and as people kind of popped into his life, he loved them and that's what it was like to be sent from God. The problem with that is that makes the mission of God quite accidental, doesn't it? And that's not the case. Jesus is on a mission. He has an agenda. He has a target in mind that he wants these new friends of his to grow in. And he knows that at some point the religious authorities are going to take him out. But that God has worked that into the success of the mission. There's a plan, a purpose, an intention into what it looks like to be sent from God. Jesus meets these fishermen and says, come follow me and I'll make you into something you are not now. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll help you catch people. I'll help you gather and influence and change the trajectory of human beings. Come follow me and I'm going to turn you into something that you're not. That's a trajectory. That's an agenda. That's you start here, we're going to finish here. I have a plan for your life. That's not accidental. There's nothing accidental about it. There's even moments where things get super hot with Jesus and the religious authorities and Jesus knows in his mind, my guys aren't ready yet, so I need to go back into the countryside. I need to steer clear of headquarters, take a wide berth around Jerusalem because it's getting hot and I'm not ready to hand off the baton yet. They are not ready. Then there's a point in Luke where it says, Jesus set his face like flint, like a stone towards Jerusalem. He says, I know, okay, it's ready. Time for the message to reach headquarters and that's where I know the bomb's gonna go off. That's where I know I'll get taken out for speaking these true things. But these guys are ready, here we go. He is on a mission, he's on purpose, okay? Now, having said that, we also see Jesus pausing in his trajectory to care for the people right in front of him, don't we? He is very alive to the needs around him and very flexible with his specific detail plans. So I think we can learn two things from Jesus in that, in living as sent ones today, if we're intentional. Here's two things on this whole idea of being intentional, like Jesus was. Sometimes we're going to just get lucky with opportunities. Other times we have to make our own luck. Here's what I mean. 
when we're talking about living as messengers to the people around us, so much of someone else's faith journey is out of our control, right? You have no say over how some, your friend was raised, over what kind of religious context they've come to your relationship with, what, what's going on in their life, what their physical health is like, what kind of questions they're asking. That stuff is all out of your control, right? They, they bring that to the relationship. All that stuff's impossible to know, predict, and be inside of our control. So that's what I mean by luck. It's all the stuff um, that about living like a sent one that we can't control. Now, if you intend, on purpose, to live like a missionary wherever you are, then there are going to be times when Jesus wants you to take an advantage of an opportunity that appears right in front of you like a surprise. And there are times when he will want you to go create an opportunity to take advantage of. Both things are true. You'll get lucky and you make your own luck. There's something that will happen you go, whoa, as a sent one of Jesus, I need to take advantage of this right now. Didn't anticipate it, but I'm here and I'm a missionary. Let's do this. There are other times you're like, you know what? As a missionary person, I need to go make something happen. Both things are true. Jesus does both. In Mark 1, we're told that Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum and preaches. And the people are amazed. Except one person doesn't like it because they're possessed by a demon. (laughs) In the synagogue. This can happen in church. But Jesus casts it out, and the word begins to spread about him. After Jesus leaves the synagogue, he goes to Peter's house for dinner. But Peter's mother-in-law is ill, so Jesus heals her. So word gets around in this little city in the region of Galilee. There's a rabbi in town who preaches with authority, casts out demons, and heals the sick. And he's at Peter's house. So as you can imagine, everybody brings their sick people to Jesus. Mark 1, verses 32 through 34 Mark writes this, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. They also drove out many demons. So, of course, they love him in Capernaum. But the next morning, Jesus gets up before sunrise, goes off by himself to pray. Pick up in verse 36. Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Yeah, again, no kidding. (laughs) Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, this is a... Surprising strategy. Let's go somewhere else? Why? Everybody loves you here. Things are working. Why would you leave this? So I can preach there also. That's why. Jesus has intentions. He has an agenda. He's living like a sent one on purpose. He makes his own luck. That's what we're called to do. To go do things on purpose. Uh, As I try to live this out in my own life as a campus pastor, missionary to college students, I have to be intentional to stick myself in situations where I can make friends and talk about Jesus with students who don't know him yet. Uh, When I was working at at the the Whatcom Community College, just a a few miles up the road from Western, there was a demographic of people that I never felt comfortable with and never really built any relationships there because, honestly, those students intimidated me. 
And Jesus had to work on me about those students. He said, hey, Jeff, if you're a sent one, why would you avoid certain people? And I said, because they scare me. (laughs) See, there was this corner on campus with an old bus stop shelter, and they called it the smoke shack. Once, it became, once the laws came down in the Northwest where you couldn't smoke indoors, they would set up these little like old bus stop shelters where anyone who wanted to smoke could go smoke there, right? And so this place called the Smoke Shack, that's where the smokers on campus would go smoke. And you'd always hear really raucous laughter, pretty crass jokes, lots of loud stories about how they spent their weekends. I remember Jesus nudging me, saying, are those people on your campus? And say, Yes. <laughs> And did I send you to the people on this campus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeff, these are the images I'm sending you to. And I remember saying to the Lord, one last little try. But Lord, if I hang out over there, I'll come out smelling like smoke. And people will think that I smoked. <laughs> and Jesus said, what do you think people thought about me when I hung out with prostitutes? Oh! <laughs> microphone! Drop! <laughs> I did this. Okay, Jesus, you win! <laughs> so, I made a plan. I, I, I went, decided to go, okay, Lord, help me make my own luck. Here we go. I paid attention to when the smoke shack was the most full during the day. Put it on my schedule to start hanging out of the smoke shack for a couple hours a week. I put it on my schedule to start hanging out at the smoke shack a couple hours a week. That's what it means to be intentional. It wasn't like, oh, if I happen to be passing by and, oh, there's someone there, I might think about possibly going over there to talk to them. No, Lord, I commit to being this kind of a person with those people. That's when they gather. Help me, Jesus. That's when I'm going to be there. And pretty soon, I made some friends there. They loved to talk. Holy cow, some of the ideas that we talked about were just crazy. Man, I just think the moon is my mother and the sun is my father. And all them stars are their little babies. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <Woo-hoo. laughs> and now that weed is legal in the Northwest, in Washington State, those conversations get even better. <laughs> but here's the deal. I, they like talking with me because I would bring spiritual conversations. They would say, oh yeah, man, the spirit, spiritual stuff is great. I love Jesus. Really, you do? So do I. We should read about him. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to read about him. One guy says, I'll read him. Let's talk about it. I would love to read this stuff. Really? Okay, let's hang out. You want to get coffee sometime? We'll read Jesus together. He started coming to our core. He got involved in our community. Jesus changed his life. Isn't that awesome? God is awesome. So with Jesus' nudging, we can create opportunities to make friends and to talk about Jesus with them. Okay? Now, that's the first side. That's the, the kind of go make your own luck. Be intentional. Be purposeful. The other side of the equation we see in Jesus' life is while he's being big picture intentional, while he's being big picture purposeful, he knows 
that some of his plans are going to get interrupted. And it's part of his mission to be flexible, flexibly missional too. So it doesn't mean that his spontaneity is sort of out of context and I don't know what we're going to do today. I don't know. Maybe we'll go over here. He's like, I'm on this mission. I've got these things going on. And while I'm in motion, I'm okay with people interrupting those plans so that I can engage them personally with this mission that I'm on. Right? It's a very different vision of spontaneity. If you intend to communicate the good news to the people you know around you, then you also have to be on your toes for chances to do it. Another story. I, I was walking on campus, walking through Red Square with one of our interns. Uh, you guys call them apprentices. And we're in deep conversation, right? We're walking across campus. It's great. And I'm, I'm talking with him about something. And he sees a guy sitting on a bench. The weather was really nice. It was clear, sunny. He sees a guy sitting on a bench with his head in his hands. And he just looks devastated. I'm still talking away. Oh, um, important things you're learning in the internship as an intern, blah, 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 blah. And the intern stops walking. I'm like 10 feet away. I'm like, what, what are you doing? And he, go, he stares at the guy. He says, hey, Jeff, I think we need to go talk to him. I didn't see a thing. I was into the conversation, not paying attention to him. But Wyatt saw him and said, we need to go talk to him. This was not planned. We had other plans. I had a whole thing I wanted to talk to him about, about his own growth needs and that kind of thing. But Wyatt was living like a sent one. On purpose, he had decided a long time ago that he wanted to be a missionary wherever he went, and no matter what that did to his plans. So, we did. We went over to him and talked to him. And he said, Wyatt walks over and says, hey man, I, I, I saw you sitting over here, you look real upset. Um, I just, me and my friend, we're, we're missionaries to this campus, we love Jesus, and we know that Jesus wants to meet any need you might have. And is there anything we can pray for you for? And he sits back, and he says, no effing way. <laughs> Except he didn't say effing. And I'm like, what? What just happened? He said, I just prayed that if God was real, he would send somebody to talk to me about him. I'm like, oh, yes, Lord, okay, Jesus. His life had just blown up. He had gotten a major medical diagnosis that was bad news. And in response to sharing that with his girlfriend, she broke up with him because she couldn't handle that kind of drama in her life right now. And he had been raised Christian and had abandoned his faith in college. And he was a senior getting ready to graduate. And he was out in Red Square saying, God, if you're still out there, if you're still interested in me, I'm going to get emotional about it. It was awesome. Then I would love for you to help me because I'm in trouble. And I don't have anything that I used to rely on. I don't have my health. I don't have my girlfriend. I don't have anything left. If you're still out there, I'm right here. And because Wyatt took advantage of something he saw that was not planned, but living as a sent one, this guy came to our fall retreat that weekend. He gave his life back to Jesus. And when he graduated, I don't know where he's at now, but he, he loved Jesus the whole time he was with us. And he shared his testimony. Jesus changed my life. Because Wyatt was paying attention and his campus pastor was in his own little world, right? <laughs> That's okay. That's why we do stuff together. Sometimes we need somebody to back us up. We got lucky in that sense. We had no idea what he was going through. That was the part that was not on purpose. But what was intended was Wyatt's decision to live a certain way wherever he went. Jesus does this too. Happens all the time. Does it with kids, does it with women, does it with men. 
does it with people from different nationalities, Samaritans, Jews, Roman soldiers, synagogue soldiers. Jesus says, nope, pause the plans because I'm a sent one and that means pausing sometimes. So Jesus both makes his own opportunities, but he also takes advantage of the opportunities that land in his lap. Both approaches are important. Both approaches require intention. They happen on purpose. You have a plan that you plan on being flexible with. We can do this too. So I'm going to pray for us, but I just want to summarize, and we're going to do a reflection. The three things that we see that we are responsible for in this life of living as sent ones. We're called to be relational. We're called to be verbally communicative. And we're called to do it on purpose. Okay? What I want you to do after I pray for you is I want you to reflect and say, Lord, what are some ways back on my campus, maybe even just one practical thing, what's one thing that I can do back on my campus to make my own luck for being a sent one? What's one thing that I can write into my schedule and say, I'm going to do this for the, the intention, the hope, the goal that I will enca- in, encounter people and start conversations about Jesus and build relationships from there. And I'll even give you a cheat if you want. You can steal mine for this quarter. This quarter at Western, we're on the quarter system, so semester for you guys, where I'm a missionary at. Once a week, I've decided to eat lunch in the cafeteria with students I don't know to try to start conversations about Jesus. It's just one of the goals that I have. I'm going to pick a day this, in, in, in the week. So Wednesdays from 1230 to 1.30, I'm going to bring a lunch. Everybody's got to eat. I'm going to bring a lunch, and I'm going to sit with some students I don't know and just see where the conversation goes. Tell them who I am, tell them what I'm about, learn about their lives, and see what happens. Okay? So you can do that too if you want to, or you can come up with a much better, more creative, more effective idea than I came up with. Feel free. Let me pray for you, and then take a couple minutes to reflect, and then after a couple minutes, the worship team can come up, and we'll keep singing, okay? Jesus, we, we, we want your help with this. We want to be creative with this, but also we don't want to just make it too complicated. Thank you that, you, that, that this life of being missionaries, of being sent ones, it is way less daunting and intimidating than maybe we thought. It's being friendly. It's being social. It's being, being kind. And there's no one personality trait that fits this better. Introverts are some of the best sent ones I've ever met. Extroverts are some of the best sent ones I've ever met. There's not a personality type that we say, well, that's not really my thing. No, no, if I'm a Christian, that's my thing. So Jesus, would you help us to be intentional with that? Help us to be verbal about it? And thank you that we get to do it in the context of something as fun and rich and complex and rewarding as relationships, real friendships. So as we reflect, Lord, as we take a couple minutes to reflect on how we could be intentional, I pray that you'd bless our process. Amen.